0: Hi, guys. Welcome to my show, My Steps to Sobriety, with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another great day for an interview, and I have got the honor to speak to Elliot Connor, a very passionate conservationist. And Normally, you think a conservationist would be someone a little bit more mature, who has seen life and now and and, in the autumn of his life, wants to go out there and leave a legacy, maybe plant a few trees, kind of a thing. Yeah, no. (laughs) Elliot is rather different. So welcome, Elliot. Welcome to my show.
1: Thank you, Stefan. Uh, really looking forward to our conversation today. I think mm-hmm. you got the characterization spot on. That's, that's most of the people I work with, I think it's fair to say. Uh, right. Hoping to mix it up with what I do. Uh, yeah. So, really looking forward to our chat.
0: <laughs> and that's brilliant. And, guys, you can already hear from the voice that this is a rather young version. And I can't wait to see where you are going uh, in the long run. Uh, no doubt. Elliot, tell me a little bit about you, and in, in specifically, I'm intrigued. You're a conservationist. When did that passion arrive? When did it start? Can you pinpoint that?
1: Yeah, it's a question I get asked a lot, and it's a very difficult one to answer, uh, or at least give a straight answer to. I come from a British family,
0: uh, so... I will not hold first. that against you, okay? <laughs> Sorry, I'm married to an English girl, I had to throw that in, come on. (laughs) Where from the UK do you come?
1: I come from the south, uh, the southern parts, around Surrey, that sort of area. Uh, But yeah, I lived out first five years of my life there and moved to where I am now, which is in Sydney. Uh, But I guess having that British heritage coming from that background, uh I think birdwatching is a much larger thing over there. Uh, walks in the countryside. uh, Mm. The typical naturalist pursuits, uh, so that got me fascinated in nature from a very young age. Mm. And then, of course, moving over here to Sydney, uh, the wildlife's 10 times more spectacular, uh, even if people don't appreciate it so much. Uh, So uh, that was definitely a bit of a catalyst for me. Uh, Continue uh, those birdwatching, Uh, getting out into nature when I can. I'm an animal carer here in Australia in my spare time Uh, so uh, that definitely gets me up close and personal uh, with the wildlife here Uh, but I think for me it was really uh, moving from the really basic getting out into nature, getting out into uh, the great outdoors, uh, camping, finding all of these wonderful creatures. I used to spend Uh, hours or most afternoons uh, down in the garden so we've got a mini jungle uh, at the back of our house here in Sydney and I was spending almost all of my spare time photographing the insects down there uh, for about six months so uh, I've always been fascinated by these natural wonders all around us and I guess my path uh, ever since has just been to communicate that passion.
0: And that sets you apart isn't it? because there are so many young men out there and and young women out there who like nature and have got a a, a strong interest and a passion about it. But then to take the step of actually saying, well, I like nature, and in order to preserve it, let's better act and actually do something about it. Now, that is not very common. Where's that coming from? (laughs)
1: guess I've always been the sort of person to take the initiative. I like having uh, my ideas uh, come to something. I've uh, talked of myself as a butterfly thinker, flitting between these different passion projects, uh, these things which capture my imagination. Uh, So yes, seeing some of those interests, some of those enduring passions realised has certainly been an aspect of it for me. And then uh, some of the amazing opportunities I've had, some of the amazing experiences that have come out of that, obviously have made that feedback loop uh, take place, uh, bolstered that passion, which has kept me going ever since. Uh, I think certainly there's some quite substantial echo chambers in these environmental spaces. Uh, when I first moved over here to Sydney, actually, uh, Probably my first volunteering placement uh, with an environmental organization uh, was with a group called BirdLife Australia and that was quite a wake-up call for me uh, because I was the only volunteer this side of 70 years old. Uh, they were all <laughs> very old, decrepit, retired, <laughs> mostly ladies. Uh, right. <laughs> so yeah, that's... Basically, the scene here in Australia, very, very, very different uh, to back home. Uh, But, yeah, since then, I've certainly connected up with the right people, uh, started to build communities, which I think is really important, and uh, spread my love of nature that way, uh, which which keeps me going, uh, which I'm really passionate about.
0: And some of our viewers are probably now thinking he has made a little... Special interest group at school where there are some nerds coming together and just having a little bit of of yeah, bit of a nice time. It's not really like that, is it, Elliot? How many countries? Um, how many countries are you involved with?
1: Hundred and four, hundred and five. Last count, <laughs> I haven't checked
0: uh, for a little while. <laughs> and of course, what else would you do as a bored youngster, as a bored mm. teenager? Then. Yeah, found an NGO, you know, non-governmental organization, take over the world. That's actually a bit of a German heritage there. So just careful. <laughs> Although your English are very good in that, too. I'll give you that. Yes. So, yeah, exactly. So where did that start? The NGO idea. I mean, this is you don't just wake up one morning and think, hey, I found an NGO.
1: Mm, So I think the journey towards starting that charity uh, really began about January uh, last year, so 2019, and uh, at the time I was in France, so southern France in midwinter, lodging in a castle, snowbound, volunteering in a rehabilitation centre for injured birds, so mostly birds of prey and hedgehogs. So this is how I'd chosen to spend my summer holiday, instead of relaxing on Australia's sunny beaches. Uh, but in some of the long winter nights I spent there, actually, I occupied myself looking at the operations of about 200 uh, major environmental NGOs. Uh, so I'd been doing quite a lot of local volunteering on the side, uh, keeping up my passion, my interest uh, in these spaces. and found it really challenging as a miner and being based in Sydney where there's not a huge uh, perhaps nature appreciation scene uh, to be had uh, to connect with these different environmental organisations to be part of these networks these communities I mentioned earlier they're quite uh, recluse uh, they're quite self-contained and uh, certainly to my young eyes quite elitist uh, so Uh, That was, I guess, some of the motivation behind it. But what I found was that uh, my experiences were echoed all across uh, this field globally. Uh, So uh, even these largest environmental organisations, these uh, major powers in the space were really, really struggling to engage with volunteers, to send their messages out to the broader community and uh, it got me thinking uh, what was wrong, what was uh, the challenge in the space, uh, how could it be fixed uh, along these lines, uh, how can I make a real difference in the space, uh, what would be new, fresh. Uh, mm. And that's, I guess, where human nature started as a very seed of an idea. I came up with a few basic philosophies, uh, one of them is the Durrell effect. Uh, so. I did some more research, uh, worked out that basically behind every great environmentalist, all of the names you might care to mention in the space, there's an even greater animal. Uh, They start, obviously, with this passion uh, for animals, often with a pet, uh, like uh, some sort of animal companion, a living creature, and uh, learning all their lessons from that. And, uh, of course, moving on later in life, uh, having, I guess... Their future path predestined uh, by these early encounters, and certainly what I've seen echoed across everything that I do. Uh, So that was one thing that came out of uh, some of that really early think tank uh, sort of behavior. Uh, The second thing was this model which I now use and which helps launch human edge projects, uh, which is that of mass individualism. Uh, So for me it was all about trying to bridge between what was being done really really effectively in conservation which was the community scale uh, so having quite dedicated volunteers uh, making uh, real impacts uh, on their local level and then trying to bridge that to like a global community so uh, generating this grassroots impact but globally and uh, that's where this mass individualism comes in so looking at a volunteer for example looking at their skill set where their interests uh, might lie and then connecting them in with a, a broader collective so a really uh, passionate uh, really a dedicated support group uh, of other like-minded individuals uh, which would assist them on their journey uh, so That was some of the thinking behind it. And it took me until June to start up the charity itself. Uh, I I had to get in the right frame of mind, uh, start uh, with some network mapping, uh, do all the groundwork before I could actually launch it. Uh, But we've been going almost exactly a year now. I think our anniversary is tomorrow. Uh, But (laughs) yeah, uh, that's how it all came about for me. It all started in that castle in France. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that sentence, in its own right, is pure gold. <laughs> Where did you get the idea? Oh, on a snowy, wintry night, whilst the mm. lizard was blooming. <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> Stop talking. Take my money. <laughs> That's brilliant. It's brilliant. So, it's amazing, because there are so many passionate volunteers out there, but they try to do something. And sooner or later, they get disheartened because it's either taken for granted or it's, uh, they find that they're alone and, and other people actually take the mick out of them. Uh, it's not yeah. easy. It's not easy. And if you suddenly find yourself being <laughs> mass individualism, I love that. I love that if you're if you're suddenly putting all these volunteers together and let them interact and bring them together into sort of concentrated groups that are focusing on one aspect of conservationism. Oh, wow, wow, that's that's what I call catalyst, the, the snowball effect. You're basically yeah. a f- you are you are in a military term. You're a force multiplier. You're special forces going in there taking young men from a country and building them up. You are multiplying. You have one soldier turns 200 indigenous tribes into a force to reckon with. You do exactly the same with volunteers, which is amazing, absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, I've never thought of it that way. I like the analogy. (laughs) Yes,
0: yeah, An interesting thought. Uh, oh, but exactly. i guess <laughs> certainly that's very much
1: what we do, uh, mm. bridging that uh, gap, working on those yeah. national scales, but also yeah. internationally and even closer with the community. Yeah. So I love that thought.
0: <laughs> now, the, there needs to be not just passion, but there needs to also be money to make the world go round. So at the moment, uh, where is the money for you coming from? Where is, uh, are you, are you uh, employed? Is the NGO actually now funding you as well? Or how, you know, how do you put baked beans on your toast?
1: Oh, it's a very good question. And I think that's always uh, the one that's on top of it all, Uh, working as you are uh, in this non-profit space. I do all my work as a volunteer, uh, Mm. so... I've never been paid for what I do. I'm running on this passion, this uh, dedication, this vision uh, to the change I want to make. Uh, but Human Age Projects is primarily crowdfunded. Occasionally we get grant support uh, nice. for uh, various of our projects. Uh, so some of the larger ones get funded that way. Uh, but we're very much run on this community level. And I think that uh, definitely helps to build the solidarity, uh, having uh, that means of sustaining it all and having everyone so invested in the cause, uh, that has been really effective so far. So hopefully we can continue uh, going uh, on into the future and scale our operations as much as possible.
0: And when you say that, that your NGO is, it's now, or your charity is now really covering virtually half of the, the countries in this world, oh, that's a hell of a lot of countries. Uh, how did this quick cooperation come together? Because I mean, wow, it is i'm I'm building up a network here for my steps to sobriety. I'm getting to know other guys who have got the same interest. I get to know interesting people. But I mean, I'm making progress by probably meeting five really cool people a day. You are meeting, you know, 105 countries in a year. How the hell did you do that?
1: <laughs> it's it's an interesting question, and I'm not sure even I know the full answer to that. Uh, I think at the heart of it all, it's a message which really resonates with people. Uh, there was definitely a need for the charity yeah. uh, for what we did. Uh, but I was reaching out through my own networks. I volunteered across dozens of environmental organisations so I can get pretty well connected in these spaces uh, but very much trying to make it accessible as like an entry point to anyone who wants to get involved and that obviously widens the scope quite considerably Uh, so by an order of magnitude uh, greater having uh, that audience potential Uh, Mm. so uh, that's certainly an aspect of it and uh, besides that I think it's very much word of mouth very much organically grown uh, all of our volunteers are uh, very passionate very dedicated uh, to human nature projects to what we're doing uh, so uh, they're always bringing in new recruits and that's an incredibly effective way to grow uh, the way the organization is structured uh, mm. so across these 104 countries or uh, thereabouts we have a national team in each of them uh, so that's like almost a semi-independent unit, Uh, they'll have their own outreach, their own uh, project strategy, and uh, that uh, allows more effective growth in those spaces where it's already set up. Uh, But then we have international working groups, uh, which are obviously open to any volunteer, and they're uh, organised via skills or interests uh, that that volunteer might hold. Uh, So that's a really effective way of drawing people in if they have a skill they want to share uh, they have a particular project they'd like to see come to fruition uh, then we're always happy to support in that way too Uh, so I think it's a very flat and structure which helps Uh, it's very uh, much grown by the people for the people and uh, overall it's just a message that needed to be heard Uh, there's a story I like to tell of one of our national teams so in Lesotho and they were actually one of the first to form. So Lesotho is a tiny, tiny, tiny mountainous country in uh, Southern Africa. Uh, it's landlocked, enclosed by South Africa itself. Uh, but within two weeks of uh, starting up, I was contacted by a bloke called Justice Senkoto, uh, who worked in HR, in the Lesotho Olympic team, of all things. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah, that was quite a reaction. I got the dinner table after telling my family I'd been speaking with Justice. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) he was really passionate, obviously, uh, really interested in what Human Nature Projects was proposing. And he pitched to set up a national team in the country. I've been working with him very, very closely uh, to do so. Prior to that, Lesotho had absolutely nothing going on in terms of conservation or environmental management. Uh, their animals have been decimated and uh, mm. there's really very little left. Uh, they have no government agency working towards this, no NGOs. Uh, so we we're starting from scratch in the country basically and uh, I think that's what makes it so powerful I guess what's now been achieved. Uh, there one of our most successful national teams Uh, they've recently organized major events across uh, Macero which is the capital uh, for World Otter Day which I didn't know existed and for World Environment Day uh, other major events Uh, they've (laughs) been getting really big coverage on local (laughs) television local news Uh, so it it was just an amazing vision uh, which I saw come true in that small scale Uh, but really importantly for those local communities and for uh, the native fauna of that country in particular. So I think that just goes to show uh, how passionate individuals like Justice and of course the amazing team behind him uh, really are the lifeblood of what Human Nature Projects does. I think that's the secret uh, behind it all.
0: And I guess you again, if you have strong leaders on the ground, who are enigmatic and, and who can attract people and corral them into a common message and into a common direction. Wow, wow, wow. And I guess you would attract these kind of people because they are looking, they are out there. We know that. I mean, they, these, are, these are the 5% of the population who will change the world, given if they had a chance, if they if they were given a chance. And you are actually facilitating that chance for those countries. And that is amazing. What's your main means of communication I would be interested in? Do you, do you work via Facebook or do you work via other means? How do you get in touch?
1: Oh, a bit of everything I'd say. Uh, so certainly we're working on the online presence. Uh, we use a bit of social media. Uh, but a lot of it's done on this uh, sort of localized uh, scale, if you will, uh, for the national teams. Obviously, they're going through the national director through yeah. uh, that independent uh, structure, be it a, a board or executive committee or what have you. And uh, for the international working groups, uh, we've got about a dozen uh, really, really passionate uh, support crew, uh, an international team uh, which head those groups up. Uh, so uh, that's allowed both of those two different levels to really thrive uh, but I think it's a lot of as I say word of mouth and online uh, there's certainly a social media presence we've got mm. the website uh, which is human uh, we've got our emailing list uh, so keeping in touch with all our volunteers that way uh, but what I've seen in the environmental space and I think what's been shown by human nature projects is it's most effective if you can work on that personal level mm. uh, so all yeah, of our volunteers have that open open line of contact they can speak to any member of our staff uh, they care to get in touch with uh, so that I think is how it's been uh, working so efficiently uh, thus far so effectively and growing the network we have
0: wow wow for me the stunning thing is when I read your story, I knew I needed to talk to you because so many people have got passion, they have got ideas, but then it's so easy, one little throwaway comment from someone will make them think, oh my God, this will, this will not work. Oh, oh my God, who am I to try that? Who am I? I mean, I forgot, yeah, look at me. And it's the little bloody voice in the head who's just going And unfortunately, uh, in some countries more than others, uh, there's the tall poppy syndrome. So if you actually stand out and try to create something, you get shot down in pieces. And typically, not from the front, but rather in the back. So, do you walk around with metal plates sort of protective body carriers kind of things? Uh, you do you get Do you get shit thrown at you because of your work
1: i think i 'm really lucky in the work I do uh, that it 's certainly not politicized. Uh, mm. much of the environmental space uh, has been i mean typically in the climate change in uh, some of these other debates mm. uh, that mm. are ongoing, uh, then you certainly do get. Uh, shit thrown in your face uh, if you try and uh, bring up or uh, try and advocate uh, too strongly for these issues, Mm. Uh, but Mm. as a conservationist, it's I guess a universal uh, constant. People can all resonate with other animals uh, saving life on earth. Mm. I mean, Mm. what can you argue against about that? Uh, There's really no negatives uh, which uh, people can draw upon. Uh, So, Mm. I mean, COVID has shown uh, everyone globally that there's a tremendous potential in solidarity that standing together has Mm. uh, these uh, wonderful impacts and uh, that has brought the global community together. Uh, But even before that, uh, there's been a sort of unspoken discourse in environmentalism uh, which is the goodwill of the public Uh, so Mm. people really really want to see us succeed Uh, they want us to make the world a better place and uh, that has been really inspiring for me to see i mentioned earlier i do animal rescues here in sydney Mm. Uh, So what I love most about that, aside from seeing these injured creatures recover and make their uh, journey back to health, is simply the wonderfully eccentric uh, but concerned members of the public that call in these animals. Uh, So uh, they may be in states of deterioration, Uh, the animals themselves, some are perfectly healthy and the member of the public just wants to know more about it or uh, they're concerned (laughs) that uh, the chick's not developing properly when it's one day old. So uh, there may not be a tremendous amount of knowledge about animals out there, but people are so, so interested, so open to learn more, uh, to be part of the solution. And uh, What I've seen in environmentalism is it's one of the most diverse spaces you can work in. So we get people coming in from all walks of life to Human Edge projects and to some of the other organizations I work in. It's quite incredible to see how people stumble across uh, the field, how people first get involved, uh, what their motivation was to make this change in the world. Uh, But I've, from my own experience, I have found that people are really, really encouraging of what we do. And uh, they oftentimes want to be part of it.
0: It's beautiful. And I guess to a certain degree, that reflects the journey that we humans took over the last, I guess, 200 years with the Industrial Revolution and then the the move into large uh, towns, cities, huge huge areas where you don't see an animal unless it's a rat or a, a stray dog. So I I like to believe that there is, in all of us, actually something that likes nature and that likes animals out there. And this might actually be a way of us getting back to a more intimate relationship with what yeah. is going on around us, which is so important. It's so... You know, if there, there are too many people who strongly believe that their meat is coming from the supermarket, where else from? So, and that's, that's hard. That's really, really hard. Uh, there is no understanding of what your supermarket meat goes through until it becomes your chicken dinner. And it is there is no understanding of, of healthy livestock, of, of, of sustainable growth uh, in farming, etc., because we are so removed from that. Yet, we need to learn that again. It just can't continue the way, the way it works for many people, because not only have they forgotten how to garden and how to look after animals and livestock, they also have forgotten how to cook they have forgotten yeah. how to to be emotionally involved with anything but the screen in front of them and that makes it really really hard this this is this is this is a one way street that we so can't keep going down we need to come back to nature and we need to do something there and your organization is doing exactly that
1: i think so yeah uh, very much so uh, but it's quite complex uh, moving into these discussions. Uh, I'll try and avoid some rabbit holes, uh, but over a lockdown uh, from coronavirus, I was actually uh, writing a book I've just finished on the uh, human relationship with nature as uh, to how that's evolved over time. Yeah. And it's really, really uh, intriguing to see some of the complexities of how that's shifted. Uh, perhaps, obviously, environmentalism itself is a very modern concept that we never uh, considered it or thought we needed it until maybe 50 years ago, Mm. uh, thereabouts. So uh, this whole uh, new move towards uh, thinking critically of our impact on the planet is a really, really modern phenomenon. Uh, But uh, you're right that as we move into cities uh, that we're uh, being uh, perhaps superficially disconnected uh, from other animals, from nature itself. Uh, but I, I guess what I'm trying to come across with my message is there's always animals, there's always nature we can uh, look at, appreciate uh, I mean Sydney's a uh, beautiful example is a fine green city, uh, lots of birds, wildlife about if you know where to look. Uh, but it is a major world city. It's got a substantial population. And uh, if you choose any world city that you can name, uh, there is uh, some wildlife you can mention, some wildlife you can look at. Uh, just over the lockdown, again, I was uh, starting up a mini documentary series called the Cabinet of Curiosities, Uh, So, I'm slowly making the move into wildlife filmmaking. Uh, That's, I guess, where my future directions lie. Uh, But this was simply me. uh, finding an object in my collections. So I collect all sorts of things from stamps to coins, rocks, minerals, insects, feathers, uh, elements of the periodic table, all sorts of things. Uh, But I was simply taking an object, an item, out of uh, one of these collections and talking about the story uh, which it embodied, which it contained. Uh, So uh, the animal perhaps that was behind it. I started with a shark's egg case. Uh, So from a Port Jackson shark, uh, you see them washed up in hundreds in Australia's beaches. Uh, So again, one of these things we might come across uh, on our daily existence, uh, but perhaps not recognise or appreciate. Uh, I then had a snail's foot and a perculum. Uh, So another thing which is very, very easy to find is a beach coma. Uh, They're everywhere if you know where to look. I did a cicada exoskeleton Uh, So the hard shell uh, which is left behind when molting uh, and you get them from all sorts of insects all over the world. Uh, You can find them uh, pretty much anywhere you look if you uh, know uh, what you're looking for. And uh, I think just having that ability to recognize that there is nature everywhere, uh, that it is a part of who we are, uh, but that we can always find it is uh, something I found increasingly important. I mean, I'm lucky to live where I do in Sydney, uh, but it's certainly not out in the wilderness, out in the wild. Uh, So I enjoy when I get out uh, to such places, uh, but I really, really love the nature you can find here at home. Uh, So I think if there's one change I can make in the world, it would be to get everyone to re-evaluate uh, to reframe their human relationship with nature, to make it a part of their lives. Uh, because I think it's something we are really missing, uh, which we believe we can't get in our current situation, uh, but which modern technology certainly can bring us closer to, uh, which we do have the opportunity to connect with if we just give it some time and space.
0: And whilst you come from the, the angle of conservationism, if you look at mental health and personal well-being again and again and again, uh, going back to nature is incredibly resetting and incredibly healthy. It's not for nothing that that yoga is often done in forests or on on the sea, that, that people are including the nature into their mental and emotional, spiritual growth. Because that's that's where it really happens. That's where where the catalyst is out there. Mm. I've had in one of my previous previous interviews, I had a lady who had previously suffered from a, a crippling pneumonia. So she has had had a nasty, nasty chest and was really could barely talk, walk, and it was, was brutal. And somehow she ended up with a, with a, a spiritual guider, uh, guidance, uh, and he made her not do uh, any qigong, but he said, look, just stand there, touch this tree, and literally do tree-hugging. And she thought, you to come, come on, come on. And yet, after, after half an hour or so of breathing and, and just standing there and, and calming down, suddenly she was able to walk and was able to do things. But you think, what the hell? How, what, where, uh, how, how did that happen? And it is, there is something out there. Nature, if we take it for granted, we're actually stupid. We are actually really, really, really stupid. We can do so much better of reintegrating ourselves with nature and going out there and making it as part of our life. So who says that, that you have to go to the gym to do a treadmill? Why not go in the forest and just do a stiff walk there? And, and you know, things like that. And what I do like with your approach, you're not saying, oh, let's go four months into a remote mountain area and live with the gorillas in the mist. Uh, No, (laughs) you are basically saying, look, look around. What can you do? Okay. How can you help your environment in your area with your mates and do something that makes you grow inside? But also helps the world become a little bit of a better place. So that is that is beautiful. That's actually beautiful to say. Speaking no, thank of you, thank you. Oh, please. Speaking of gorillas in the mist, who who would you love to meet, given the chance? Given given, I don't know if I have a magic wand and could say, "Come on, okay." You're sitting uh, in an aeroplane next to. Who would you like to be with, who is your hero?
1: It's a really, really tricky choice to make. And I mean, you were mentioning mental health earlier. Uh, So as someone who started me on this journey was Steve Parrish, uh, who's Australia's foremost photographer a really, really famous photographer, book publisher, uh, sadly uh, going retired, uh, starting on that path. Uh, but uh, he invited me up to a weekend masterclass of his up in Queensland uh, two years ago, uh, yep. thereabouts, when I was just, just making my first uh, baby steps into environmentalism, into uh, wildlife photography. Uh, yeah. So uh, he really catalyzed uh, that journey for me. Uh, but I guess I've done that. Uh, so I was speaking with Jane Goodall a few weeks back. She's certainly an inspiration for me. Uh, should, yeah. I think she's an amazing woman, incredible what she's yeah. done. Uh, but the one person who I'd really like to meet would have to be David Attenborough. I think he's, I think he's so. the it's, person isn't uh, it? that you have to meet. <laughs> yeah.
0: I couldn't agree more. And he's, he's uh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. But uh, I have got this sneaky suspicion that if we wait 20 years, that and you speak then to, to young people out there, you know, who would you like to meet? Oh, Elliot. Elliot would be really, really cool. <laughs> because if you keep going like that, you are so naturally, you're naturally bringing systems and people together, which is a very valuable uh, commodity. It's, uh, you're a communicator, excellence and that is, uh, that is one of the highest skills that you can wish for. Uh, it doesn't matter what you, in which job I put you, I can teach you the insides and outsides of the job, but the communicator, that is what every boss will look for. There you go. So no, good on you, good on you. But now I need to ask, you know... <laughs> That was, what, 18 months? Call it two years now. No, 18 months. 18 months was really Mm. this journey Um, from from budding idea in a French castle to 105 countries. So that is quite an exponential growth. What are you envisaging in a year's time, in two years' time? What are your hopes? What are your hopes? What are your dreams?
1: I think with any of these questions, it's very hard to say uh, what the future will look like. I mean, coronavirus is a spanner in the works. It's uh, mixed up the whole dialogue, the whole conversation uh, about where the future path uh, will be. Uh, But I think what I'd love to do is to continue to grow Human Edge projects. I'll soon be finishing my schooling career uh, in November uh, 2020 or thereabouts. So I'll take a gap year, take some time off, uh, be able to devote certainly more of my time to human nature projects. I'd like to see it grow, hopefully travel, uh, meet some of the volunteers, meet some of those national teams, inspiring individuals I've met via Zoom or uh, equivalent platforms. Uh, So uh, that would be an amazing opportunity for me. And I think moving two, five, ten years down the path, I'd love to, I guess, follow Attenborough, i say, move into that wildlife filmmaking path, uh, certainly taking on those roles. I've been, these past six months, uh, slowly uh, learning skills, uh, getting into those spaces. I spent uh, this past January, uh, just before coronavirus struck, uh, for six weeks filming in South Africa, uh, so with a company called Wild Earth TV, and what they do is send out a few safari vehicles. So I uh, do two, three hours uh, safari drives every day, and they have a cameraman on the back uh, with big camera, uh, so swivelling uh, looking at whatever comes across, and uh, just streaming that live to an audience of about a million monthly viewers. Uh, so really, really powerful what they're doing and connecting people with this authentic experience uh, getting them out where so few people can go so into the wilds of Africa on this uh, bucket list experience Uh, but then (laughs) my being able to cover that uh, for those six weeks uh, all of those many safari drives uh, more than 100 hours of filming uh, on the back of that car Uh, so uh, that was an incredible experience for me a great step forward Uh, but I'd like to Go further, uh, move uh, more into that space. Uh, so, be it presenting, producing, or filming itself. And I think storytelling is really important to what I do. Isn't so, it? being mm-hmm. able to get those messages out there and communicate that really effectively is
0: the end goal. Mm. But I love it the way you've, you've approached it. This was an opportunity for you to really get your hands dirty, learn mm-hmm. filming, and learn what happens when mistakes happen sort of it, it's it's all quite nice if it's all nice sunshine and all pretty but if you're bouncing around on a on a moving vehicle and you're trying to, to keep everything there and it's dust mm-hmm. everywhere and uh it, that's not easy i love my photography and my filming exactly yeah. exactly right uh so you're learning very quickly uh what is important but not and these lessons are in value no, what's the word they are uh, immeasurably important. <laughs> and now the English words are this is disappearing out of my language, but it, it, you know what I mean. You did a great, great building block there. So, and now the next building block will come next. To it. and then you will learn about audio. And the next thing you know is you're doing post production. And before you've blinked, you are there. And it it is a natural growth. I mean, it is it is. Me doing here these these interviews, prior to let's say a month ago, I podcasting um, didn't know much about that, and then suddenly I sort of fell into it, and and now I can't get enough of it. Uh, initially, I was relatively shy. I'm a doctor. I'm. I'm we're not going out there and say, here, look at me and come to me and we're talking. And no, there's marketing. Ugh, no, 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 we doctors don't do that. Uh, but yet, suddenly, things changed. And I sort of did a little bit of, hey, hey guys, would you mind if you come onto my show? Well, nowadays, I don't give a toodle anymore. I've lost all inhibitions. And so, hey, you, your story, I need to know. Come on. There's no chance that you can't not come on my show. So it's, it's, you know, it's that kind of thing. And I think you will, you will, you have already grown so much that your next steps are just that much bigger and that much more natural. So for you now yeah. to to become involved in, in real film production is actually a logical step. It's not something that I would think, whoa. I would think, yeah, why not? You've done all the hard work. You have got you've actually you would be an ideal, an ideal trainee, so to speak, because you've got a passion, you already have got the insight, you already have got some of the the scars uh, to prove that that you've been out there, have done that. Hey, man, this is brilliant. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited for you. This is a fantastic journey you're on, man. Your parents must yeah, be... Yeah, definitely. Uh, are your parents involved in, in conservation, isn't
1: Oh, no, no. Uh, so, as I mentioned, they're sort of amateur bird watchers, uh, yeah. I guess. Uh, they got me interested in the field in the first place. Uh, we used to take uh, holidays to see wildlife, uh, so... I always was surrounded, I guess, uh, by this love of nature. Uh, but they're leadership coaches. Uh, so my father runs his own business in uh, coaching professional development.
0: Uh, 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 but that's uh, what they keep occupied with. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, of course, you can try to close your eyes and close your ears. But like it or lump it, you will soak some of these skills up. And I think that uh, might have set you up, without you knowing about it, that might have set you up to be the communicator that you are now. So, mummy and daddy, I think they possibly, deserve...
1: Possibly, possibly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hard to know. It's hard to know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course. If I, if I tell my boys that uh, they are 17 and 19, if I tell them uh, anything that, that, I don't know, has to do with me, it's, it's boring, man. Huh? Don't want to know a thing, um, and it's it's just intriguing. It is what it is. Okay, <laughs> and then they come back and said, "Well, actually, Dad, you were right," kind of thing. And it is what it is. Every generation will be the same thing again. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with with developing a passion and developing the skills that you need to bring that passion turn that into reality. And if you were lucky that your parents were able to give you something like that, brilliant. If you're not lucky, if you're like me, when I was younger, I didn't have great role models. I didn't have money. We didn't have anything. Uh, And I had to fight for absolutely everything uh, in my own way. So when I was at school, well, I I didn't volunteer. I went after school. I went earning money by stacking wood in a a timber place. So it is. But that was me. That was my journey. But then, like you with the photography, I I did photography. I did circus arts because I fancied circus. I wanted to learn how to juggle and to tightrope and things like that. And that's what I did. So I think the key message there from me and from you is, if you have a passion, guys, go out there. And it doesn't matter if you're 17 or 70. It doesn't matter what you have done yesterday. It depends upon what is your passion right now? Or more importantly, what passion would you really like to have? Because people, when they come, you know, let's say you know, someone has been in a, in a really bad relationship uh, and everything has come crashing down around them, they're empty. They are, they are lost to a certain degree someone who has just stopped drinking after years of, of alcoholism, they're empty, completely empty. And there is nothing to say that you cannot think of, okay, someone stopped it all here. Where do I want to go now? I'm on a crossroads. I can, I can choose my path. And conservationism, Hmm, you know, why not? Why not? Yeah. I think the one thing that everyone should think about out there is this is this life allows you so many opportunities, and people shy away from it. They think, oh no, 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 I can't do that. Why not? Go out there, live a life as crazy and as passionate as you possibly can. Find other nerds, other however you you, you name yourself, I'm the biggest nerd, don't get me wrong. This is a label of honor for me, okay? I'm a nerd, yeah. Um, but I, I wear that. I wear the t-shirt with pride because I, that t-shirt, that, that, that passion drives me, and it drives me to do good things, and I think that's beautiful. So, Elliot, I mean, I'm, I'm, I take my hat off to your passion and to your ability to communicate, because no doubt you will, you will, you will change lives. And that's a beautiful legacy to live, man.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. No, I, I think that's perfect what you've said. Uh, if you have this passion, if you can see a future world, uh, then I definitely leap full in. I mean, starting up human nature projects, I had no idea. Uh, how it was going to turn out, uh, what the uh, end goal would be, where we'd get to, uh, 12 months time, 18 months, uh, two years. Uh, So I still remember uh, those first two months, it was living off sheer exhilaration, uh, seeing how fast it was growing, all these new countries (laughs) accumulating uh, behind the name. I I think it's quite, quite uh, empowering, inspiring, uh, seeing what globalization can do, bringing us (laughs) all together uh, these different countries, mm. these different cultures, backgrounds, languages, communities. Uh, so uh, that has been uh, one thing which I've certainly learned uh, that if you leap full in, uh, then there really is nothing you can lose. Uh, my journey for these past 12 months, 18 months has just been a series of leaps. Uh, walking into the unknown, I certainly am an introvert. Uh, so uh, past six months I've been taking into public speaking. I did... Uh, TED talk in February. Uh, that was a wonderful opportunity and many more stints online during coronavirus and in person. Uh, but it's an entirely new skill set for me. I could never have imagined myself uh, moving into these spaces. It just came uh, with having to run human nature projects, having to step up, communicate yeah. my vision, uh, this change I wanted to see in the world. Uh, so I think there's no limits to what you can achieve, it's limited by your imagination, so to speak. I've always loved uh, that poem, uh, Two Roads Diverged in a Yellow Wood and I Took the Path Less Travelled. That's such a wonderful metaphor uh, for life itself. If you can beat your own uh, path off the beaten track, uh, then... Uh, that will always be uh, the one which stays with you, the one which gets you furthest. Uh, just having a vision, uh, acting on it, and seeing what change you can make.
0: If people are struck by your words and would like to get in touch, how can they do that?
1: Sure. So my vi- uh, my website, sorry, is elliottconnor.com. Uh, uh, very, very simple. Uh, that's Elliot with two L's and one T. Uh, there are many, many variations. Uh, so com is my website. Uh, you can uh, get in touch there. Uh, or if you're interested in Human Nature Projects, uh, that's humannatureprojects.org. Uh, so yeah, definitely reach out, uh, get in touch, or you can head over to my own podcast, uh, which I've just started up. Uh, so that's Human Nature uh, Cast and i just released episode three about tree kangaroos, and all things. So really enjoying that journey too. Uh, but it's been great chatting with you, Stephen, today. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, it was an honor. Thank you very much for your time. And you guys out there, uh, Elliot is the the living proof that nothing should stop you in your passion. Just if it is in your heart, then find a way how to do it okay don't listen to the naysayers go out there and live your life it is you have got only one life you might as well make the most out of it and a passion hell yeah hell yeah so elliot thank you so much look after yourself and all of you out there stay safe hey bye thank you Goodbye.